We want to uh, welcome you. We know that you have a lot of choices, and we are thrilled that you chose to spend your Sunday with us, to worship with us here. And hopefully when you come away, you don't come away impressed with Huntsville Church of Christ. You come away impressed with Jesus. That's our goal. So we're glad you're here. Um, If you are visiting with us, we have lunch prepared for visitors, new members, or college students. And so, or... Anybody else, you know, they're not going to card you, so it's okay. You can go. We want to give you an opportunity to connect with us here. If you're uh, uh, trying to figure out how do I get plugged in, that's a great way to start right there. It's a good way to meet people, good way to connect with people, very informal, very laid back, no pressure. If you want to figure out how to get plugged in and connected with this church, that is an awesome way to start. So we're happy you're here. Um, if, if you're visiting with us, you don't know what's normally we have a, a family news that uh, tells you everything that's going on this week. Our administrative uh, executive administ I don't know what her title is, but she runs this place. Amy uh, had a death in her family and we have been praying for her. Uh, we continue to pray for her and her family. And that's why if it's a mess, it's my fault. It's not hers. Um, Because I am totally inadequate as far as filling her shoes. So, bear with us as as we move into that. Um, As we move into our lesson this morning, though, um, I want to sing a couple of songs with you. Do you remember... uh, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. We will rest in the fair and happy land by and by, just across on the evergreen shore. Sing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by, and dwell with Jesus evermore. Or how about, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. We're going to do verse 3. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Bear me through the swelling current, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee. We could go on and on. There's lots of Jordan songs, aren't there? Can you think of any? I mean, I, I don't want you to start yelling them out, but, but think about the other Jordan songs that you know. We sing about the Jordan a lot. You know, there are lots of prettier rivers. We live in East Texas. We're familiar with, with rivers, and by our East Texas terms, the Jordan River is a creek. Um, we got to be honest. It's, we know what rivers are around here. We, we, and, and in the South and as a whole... We, we think of rivers, we think of rivers. We don't think of creeks. But the Jordan River, I would say, has had more celebration, more discussion, more talk than just about any, any river there is. It's been talked about, it's been, uh, it's been sung about, it's been celebrated. And, and it's not the beauty 
of the Jordan River, although parts of it are beautiful. It's not the beauty that inspires centuries of, of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It, it's, it's its significance. Its significance begins really as a barrier, right? It's, it's the place that separates Abram and Lot. That's the first time we really, or that I remember we really hear about it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. That's okay. I've been wrong before. But, but it, it's the barrier that separates Abram and Lot. It's the place where Jacob crosses over and then camps on the, on the other side and wrestles with God. It's, uh, it, it, it's the place where eventually the, the, the Israelites come to. It's, it's, it's throughout Scripture. The Jordan is significant. For the original Canaanites, it was the place where Baal lived. It was the place where the, the, the God that they worshipped dwelt. Because just like that God, it was unruly. It was unpredictable. Without warning, it could flood. It could be outside of its banks and its destructive power could be, could be immense. But it could also be a peaceful stream. It was... Chaos, it was danger, it was untamed, it was the, the residence of their God. And in Scripture, the, the Jordan River's presence on, on Israel's eastern edge was, was a place of transition. Israel would always think about Joshua's transition, Joshua's crossing of the Jordan. Crossing the Jordan River for Joshua and the Israelites, of course, meant entering into the promised land. That, that they were stepping over through this barrier, and Joshua was leaving the leadership of, of Moses. The people were leaving Moses and the Egyptian slavery, the wandering in the wilderness. They were stepping into the promise of God. They were fulfilling what God had given them, what God had promised them for, for years. And, and if, you, if you turn to Joshua chapter 4, as, as the Israelites are crossing that, that river, miraculous things occur. When the priests of God step into the river, and, and the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the current, the river stops. And as the nation crosses, Joshua makes a fundamental comparison. He says in chapter 4, verse 23, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. Now, Joshua is connecting the powerful redemption of a nation. He's connecting the power of God as he led the children of, Egypt, uh, children of Israel out of Egypt to the power of God that is crossing the Jordan into the promised land. And as the priests stood in the, in the river and the, and the waters stood back and, and the Israelites crossed on dry land, each one of the twelve tribes picked up a stone and carried it out with them. And they erected a monument, a memorial on the other side so that they wouldn't forget Joshua says that, that these stones are not just to commemorate the event, they're a memorial. Joshua tells the people that this is not just for them, it's for all the future generations. In chapter 4, verse 20 through 24, he says, Those twelve stones which they had taken out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal, saying to the Israelites, When your children 
Ask their parents in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel crossed over the Jordan here on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we crossed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Joshua tells the people that these 12 stones, they're a reminder to you, but they are also a prompt, a prompt for questioning from your children. That's one of the reasons why we don't have our children's church until after communion. Lots of churches have children's church that that runs coincide with the whole church. Communion is one of those 12 stone memorials. It's one of those things that I hope your children are asking you questions about. And you want that. Now, I know some of you, you're, you're, you're a little bit embarrassed because they ask them very loudly during communion. But, but you want them to question that. You want them to ask that because God is a God who sets up these memorials, these rituals for a reason. He wants them to ask you, why are we doing this? And that's what he does here. By making this memorial, Joshua and God creates the example of a teachable moment, you know, Parents, you know what this is. Teachers, you know what that is. The teachable moment when something happens and you have an opportunity to reach in there and teach because they're asking questions, they're, they're checking out what is this about. Joshua sets up a teachable moment by making those memorials. And so if, if, if we go through life looking for those teachable moments, that's not the point of the lesson. I got sidetracked. But while they're camped near this place, after they cross the Jordan, they erect the memorial. While they're camped there, Joshua goes to scout out what Jericho looks like. And as he walks a little bit away from their camp towards Jericho, he meets a supernatural figure. He meets someone who he realizes is not of this earth. A being with his sword drawn. And Joshua asks this individual, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the being answers, neither. As the commander of the Lord's army, I've come. And we read that and we go, whoa, what is that all about? Well, it's because this transition was more than just a crossing. It was more than just a simple transition. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face and worshipped him. We know that this is not an angel because angels never accept worship. Anytime in Scripture when someone tries to fall on their face and worship an angel, an angel says, No, don't worship me, worship God. So we know that this is more than an angel. Many theologians theorize that this individual was the pre-incarnate Christ. What that means is Jesus before he was born. Does that make sense? Some of you are freaking out right now. It's okay. Stay with me. 
that, that Jesus is this individual who is the commander of the Lord's army and is appearing to Joshua in this place. The point is, one of the first things we learn about, about any kind of transition, about any kind of, this was more than just crossing a river. This was God flexing his muscle. This was God demonstrating his superiority over Baal, over, over the gods of the Canaanites. And, and that battle begins by us meeting with a holy God. Joshua is about to engage in battle to, to destroy all the strongholds of these beings that are, that are setting themselves up as gods in Canaan but before that happens Joshua has to meet with God Joshua has to to acknowledge the power that's going to work the miracles that we're going to see throughout Joshua see the army of God is about to launch an invasion into a stronghold that is taken by the enemy God is going to enter into that space and totally eradicate that presence the whole land of Canaan has been a stronghold of Baal and other pagan gods. Scholars believe that everything up until this point has been pointing to that in the first place, that the people of Canaan are so terrified of the Israelites because over and over and over, it's proven that the Israelite God is stronger than the gods that they worship. The God of the Israelites turns back the Jordan at its flood stage, at its most destructive Because that to these Canaanites is the presence of Baal. And God is exerting His strength. He's showing, I'm bigger than Baal. And as Joshua meets the commander of the Lord's army, he says to him, this place is holy. What does this have to do with rediscovering Jesus? Some of you are wondering that. Many years later... In this exact same place, the exact same physical location where Joshua and the Israelites crossed the Jordan, where Joshua comes in contact with a supernatural figure who tells him the ground there is holy, another prophet will be standing. Another prophet who will be calling the people to repentance, and he will be baptizing. John the Baptist baptizes, preaches, teaches in this exact same spot and he calls the people to come and repent to turn from what they had been doing before that 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 they are to to turn back to God it's no wonder that John chose this location to preach and to baptize because the Jordan River is a place of transition it's a place of new beginnings not just for Joshua and the people of Israel this is the exact same location that that Elijah passes on his mantle to Elisha and then Elijah is taken up to heaven there is a specialness about this place and this is the place where John is preaching this is the place where John is baptizing this is the place where Jesus comes to be baptized Matthew says then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John. For what reason? To be baptized by him. Now, can you imagine that? Put yourself in John's place for just a second. If if I'm up here this morning and I issue the invitation and Jesus responds and comes down and says, Jeff, I want you to pray for me, I'm going, whoa, 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 you got this backwards. You should be praying for me, not me. That's exactly what John says. Jesus comes to John to be baptized, and John says, Whoa, you got this backwards. You should be baptizing me, not the other way around. 
John tries to talk him out of it. Isn't that funny? John says, Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? And the question, if you're reading that, if you're like me, and maybe this is the weird way my mind works, is why does Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, we believe that John's baptism was about repentance. Jesus didn't need to repent. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? We profess and preach today that baptism is about forgiveness of sins, but we also believe that Jesus wasn't sinful. So why, why does Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, he doesn't need to repent. He doesn't need forgiveness. Now, there are lots of theories about this. If you read about it, you'll find all kinds of theories. You, you'll, you'll hear that Jesus was doing this simply out of obedience. That, that he was being obedient, like Paul says in Philippians 2, he was obedient to the point of death, that he was being obedient to what God had commanded the people. And, and even though it was unnecessary for him, he was doing it because he was obedient. And I'm kind of like, yeah, maybe. That's still, eh, I'm not sure. Well, I've heard that he was doing this to set an example for us to follow. That, that he didn't really need it himself, but he was showing us what he wants us to do. I've used that argument myself, in fact. When people ask me, you know, is baptism necessary? Well, we'll debate and talk about it. My trump card that I finally play is if, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. So maybe he was just doing it as an example, but still I'm kind of like, eh, is that all? Is that the only reason Jesus comes to be baptized? I think like with a lot of Jesus' actions, there's deeper reasons. There's deeper explanations. Because this was about a transition. Just like Moses to Joshua. Just like Elijah to Elisha. This was a transition. Not just from John to Jesus, but a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. It's a transition. And when, G- when John called people to baptism, this wasn't a new thing to a Jew. A Jew didn't hear that and go, really? What? What is that? The Jews had been baptizing for centuries. They, they called it the mikvah. It was a, a ritual immersion that, that they were immersed under the water. And, and it was used for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons would be for, for a number of bodily discharges and and that made them unclean. And so they would go and they would be immersed in the mikvah and they would be raised and that would be their ritual cleansing. That was one of the reasons why people would perform this ritual baptism. John connects it to repentance. And and he says if you repent, you're going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed is the actual word there. They are participating in the mikvah, this Jewish cleansing, and raised. This was also a a ritual that was done to a dead body to prepare it for burial. That it was immersed in the mikvah and it was raised and that cleansed it and prepared it for burial. And so Jesus comes to John, Matthew says, for the reason of being baptized, to be baptized. He's starting a transition. Instead of the waters parting though, Mark chapter 1 verse 10 is going to tell us that the heavens parted and when he came up out of the water immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove just like joshua 
This is a transition. But just like Joshua, this is an invasion. The Spirit of God is coming down, entering into the world, and beginning a conquest. The commander of the Lord's army is not just standing there as as a neutral figure, as, as part of the Lord's army. The commander of the Lord's army has been made flesh and is now stepping through the same waters in the same place because he is launching an invasion into the realm of darkness. He is launching an invasion and, and going head to head, face to face, against powers and principalities that control this dark world. And just like God demonstrates his power over Baal by parting the water. Jesus is demonstrating his powers over the powers of darkness by being immersed in, in these waters and coming up and the Spirit descending on him, the voice of God speaking to him. All of creation has been leading up to this moment. From the time of the fall of man, When man sinned in the garden, when sin entered the world, and God's perfect creation was tarnished, God has been busy putting together a rescue plan, an invasion to fix what we messed up. From Genesis 12, when He makes a promise to Abraham, all of Scripture is leading up to this moment. All of Scripture is leading to this place, to Jesus. And that's what Jesus says to John. Matthew 3, verse 14 and 15. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He says, John, this is what it's all about. Everything has been leading to this moment. This is the fulfillment of what God has been doing. It's all about to be fulfilled now. The invasion is starting. Because there's one other function of mikvah that I held back and didn't tell you. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Jews would symbolically place their sins onto a goat, a scapegoat, that would carry the sins away. The mikvah was used to cleanse the high priest who was taking care of the goat. You see the parallels? Jesus is that high priest, Hebrews is going to tell us. That Jesus is functioning as that same high priest. See, the Jordan has always been a place of transition. The waters have always been a place of transition. And it's so even today. Because whether they be national like the children of Israel or personal, Any new beginning requires an ending. In order to transition, to transition from death to life. Entering the promised land by fording the Jordan remains a timeless metaphor. We just sang a couple of songs. We could have sang many more. And we use that as a metaphor for moving into the other side, for moving into the promise of God from leaving one shore and crossing the other. We still sing about Jordan's banks or how God will lead us safely over Jordan. We sing about coming home to the promise of God by crossing Jordan. And as Joshua pointed out to the people after crossing the Jordan, the same grace of God who led the children of Israel out of Egypt is going to lead them into that promise. 
Later, the New Testament is going to say to you and me, the same power that raised Christ from the dead breathes life into our bodies. The same grace, the same power, the same presence of God that led the people through the waters. Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. Jesus goes through the waters first, leading us into a new covenant, a new existence. If we follow Him through the water, if we follow Him into that place, if we follow Him into that new life, that same Spirit descends on us. It's not just a Jewish mikvah. The baptism under the new covenant is for the forgiveness of sins and that we may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The point is that it's not just about something that has to be redone every year. Jesus was our scapegoat that took away the sins of the world. And when we join Him in baptism, when we are added to Him by, by going through the same waters, the same waters, that same grace that led the children of Israel into the land of promise leads us home. That's the point. This morning, the call is, won't you join Him in the water? If you haven't done that, if you haven't stepped and followed Him into the waters of baptism, don't wait. Don't keep thinking it's going to be a better day. Don't think maybe it's going to happen next week, or if I get this together, or if I get that together. Let me give you a a secret. You're not going to get it together. The only way you're going to get it together is through the Spirit of God taking control and working into your life. That's where the power comes from. And the Bible says the same power who brought Jesus back to life is available to you and can accomplish whatever it is that you think you have to get together. See, if you're here this morning and you've been thinking about this, you're here for a reason. I believe just like Jesus went to John to be baptized, it was more than just coming for a mikvah. It was coming to declare a new creation. It was coming to declare a new invasion. It was coming to declare this is what God has been working for since the beginning. And just like that, God brought you here this morning. The call is, join Him in the water. It's time for you to cross over Jordan. Won't you come right now, while together we stand and sing. My Savior dear, 